Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start first with the continuing police investigation into the coastal gasoline pipeline attack. Now, this is a story we have followed for you on the show. More than one year after that outrageous and shocking attack on this remote natural gas pipeline caused more than $20 million in damage. Police now saying they're getting closer to cracking that case. We're going to play some highlights of that for you. First, let's go back in time here now. This is February 17th last year. This is Global News reporter Amar Agahi. RCMP also say the alleged attackers impeded the responding officers who were traveling the only road to the site by throwing smoke canisters at them, burning logs were placed on the roadway, and booby traps were set up as well. At one point, a large school bus had been parked blocking that road to the site. One officer was injured in the response, but no arrests could be made. How did the attackers get away if there was just one road to come in? So there's, from my understanding, there's several trail systems that are uh, in uh, off of the side roads and offshoots. It was dark. Okay, police now saying it appears the attackers got away on snowmobiles that night. So it's been over a year since this attack. Police say they are making progress here. Let's check in with Ellis Ross now, Liberal MLA for Skeena. Ellis is the former elected chief counselor of the Heisla First Nation. I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Ellis, thank you for coming on. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing good. Thank you for doing this. And it's hard to believe it's been over a year since this attack and we still have uh, no arrests in this case. What went through your mind when you first heard that attack? And are you, are you surprised that it's that the investigation has dragged on this long? Oh, well, the first thing I thought about was how far is this going to go before uh, the government takes it seriously? How far do we have to go before Crown Council starts pressing charges and the B.C. public knows who these people are and where they come from? This is... This is out of control, and violence is never acceptable. It shouldn't be acceptable in our society. Yeah, and it's interesting to hear what the police are saying now because they, they are indicating they appear to be getting closer to solving this case. Let's have a listen to RCMP Chief Superintendent John Brewer here. He's talking to CBC reporter Rob Brown here, saying, now listen carefully to what the chief, the police chief up here says about who may be responsible for this and how close they're getting to solving this case. Let's listen. I have been saying to my team, we are weeks away for the last few months, uh, certainly before the new year. Um, I believe we are that close. I think it's safe to say whether they are directly part of the anarchist movement or believe in it or use their tactics absolutely okay the anarchist movement police now saying they believe that anarchists from outside of the region may have been involved with this ellis ross your thoughts i want to know are they a separate movement or are they coordinating with uh, the existing protesters that are already there i mean we got to know who these people are and i also want to know Is this an element of foreign interference? Where do these people come from? Are they hired to come across the border? And if if, if so, that's a totally different charge relatable to the the terrorism charges. And this is terrorism. By Canada's definition, this is terrorism. Does it surprise you to hear that the 
attackers, it appears, may have come from outside of the region, outside of the area. No, it doesn't surprise me. I've been following this for quite some time now, uh, especially when you're talking about the amount of money coming from the United States to actually spread some misinformation about Canada's resource industry. I'm well aware of the people that start to move across the borders in terms of trying to, uh, in quotation marks, help out First Nations people. I'm well aware of it. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that uh, the RCMP are finally getting a handle on this. But how much of this will be made public? That's what okay. I want to know. It's interesting to list, go back and listen to what some of the protest leaders up in the region said earlier here. Have a listen to protest leader Molly Wickham here. And you'll hear her. She actually calls on anarchists to come up to this area to fight this pipeline. Have a listen here. This is protest leader Molly Wickham. We are calling on you, our allies, other Indigenous nations, labor unions, anarchist groups. We have a lot of uh, people that we've worked with in the past that are amazing, great human beings. Okay, so you hear specifically call on anarchist groups to come up to the area. She was asked by the CBC here if she was personally involved in this attack on this pipeline, if she knows who attacked the pipeline. Let's listen to what she has to say on that. Absolutely not. I think that there's a lot of resistance to this project that is outside of ourselves. Okay, you know, People must, Alice, people must know what, there must be people who know what's going on, and they're just, they've zipped their lips. Your thoughts? Oh, without a doubt. And inviting people to BC, and then I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe she wasn't aware that these types of groups actually promote violence. Maybe she didn't know that. And maybe she doesn't know who they are. Do they have a separate camp? Do they actually live in parallel lives over there? But the bottom line is, BC should be shocked that this violence has actually been allowed to happen in B.C. for the better part of a year, more than a year. And I think we need to see a complete list of all the activities related to the violence on the pipeline, including all the violence directed at RCMP. Yeah, because when you think about this attack on this this particular pipeline over a year ago, $20 million worth of damage, this is not the only violent attack we've seen. We have saw a few months after the pipeline attack, we also saw some RCMP vehicles that were lit on fire and destroyed, causing a, a lot of damage. So there appears to be continuing efforts here. I suspect that maybe the people who were involved in this particular attack on the pipeline may, be, may, have, run, may have gone to ground. Because police are now saying, Alice, that they have suspects that they're watching are you are you uh confident that we could see some arrests here yeah uh, i'm not quite sure because at the end of the day what i notice about this this is a well-coordinated attack they are well financed they know what they're doing uh so they'll probably slip away to remember there's been books written on this stuff there's been yeah. books written on how to uh, basically oppose the rcmp this is not your your typical protester in Vancouver with a, with a protest sign marching around chanting, these people actually know exactly what they're doing. And the, their intended outcome is violence and terrorism. That's what they want to do. They want to intimidate the public, the workers, the RSMP. They want to intimidate the local community. I mean, this, if they're getting paid to do this, that makes it even worse. Speaking to Alice Ross, Liberal MLA for Skeena, former Chief Counselor, Heisla First Nation. This is a, a project that has divided a lot of people and there are divisions uh, among 
in, indigenous people and First Nations in our province on these projects. A lot of a lot of elected band councils have signed on to these projects, and a lot of indigenous people are working on them too. And but you have hered, hereditary chiefs in the region are, are opposed to the project as well. Let's have a listen to Bonnie George here. Bonnie George is a, a Wet'suwet'en elder who supports the Coastal Gas Link pipeline. Here she is talking to CBC about the pipeline attack. Then I'll get your thoughts. Our nation was hijacked. Our nation's name was hijacked. They've taken our name and put it in a bad spotlight all across Canada. The community members were just just disgusted by what happened. Ellis, when you talk to people in your riding and Indigenous people about this project, like, do you see that, is there division among people on the project? Would you say most people support it? No, just about everybody supports us. In fact, we did so much communication in our community, our Heisler community, uh, we actually over-communicated. So the last vote that we had on LNG was 92% in favour. Uh, but, you know, the thing about it as well was my band, the Heisa band, in 2004 that started exploring LNG exports, and we actually brought that and imposed that on the B.C. government and the federal government. So people are talking about how somehow the colonial society is imposing this on us. No, you're yeah. wrong. It's actually the opposite. Why would you argue that? Like, why would you say, like, there's a lot of Indigenous people who are working on the project. A lot of First Nations have, have signs benefit sharing agreements with these pipeline projects why and i know you're a big supporter of it too why is that important to you and to first nations would you say because poverty in canada is a shame it's an absolute shame and i never blamed anybody for that i know the record of first nations in relation to canada over the years over the decades over the century but i always believed that it was up to first nations leadership to resolve it and it didn't matter what it it, uh, it came across our table, whether we were talking about mining, forestry, LNG. We always wanted to do it with an environmental uh, background, you know, protect the environment as much as we could. But ultimately, we were trying to get 80% of our people out of unemployment. We are trying to get yeah. them away from poverty. We are trying to get from the Indian Act. And resource projects like LNG, forestry, mining actually did it. It did exactly what the government couldn't do over the last 50, 100 years. And that's resolved First Nation poverty. What, what would you say to the Indigenous leaders who are opposed to the project? Like, I know you just said that almost everybody supports it, that, you know, that you're talking to, but there are some very prominent Indigenous leaders who are opposed to these projects, you know, hereditary First Nation, First, uh, hereditary chiefs in the region opposed to the Coastal Gasling project. They, I, I, I know you respect them. What do you say to them? I... I've, I've actually talked with them over the last 15 years. I've actually been in rooms where I've actually made my plea along with other First Nation leaders to say, look, I'm tired of our people committing suicide. I'm tired of our people ending up in prison. I'm tired of our children going into government care. I'm tired of the alcohol and drug abuse. This is a way out for us. And mm-hmm. we could do it as a people from Prince George to Kitimat to Down Channel because we're all suffering from the same poverty issues. But, you know, in those rooms, when I talked about it, it still didn't change their mind. This is Mike Smith. Welcome back to the show. Just a quick programming note for you here. Coming up at the bottom of this hour, we'll talk about the home ownership market in our country. It's still an unaffordable market for many, many people. Now, brand new opinion poll just out, commissioned by Global News. By the Ipsos company, nearly two-thirds of Canadian non-owners of homes who want to buy a home 
to say they've given up on the whole the whole thing because the market is so unaffordable. We'll get into that here at the bottom of the hour. My guest right now, Ellis Ross, Liberal MLA for Skeena, former elected chief counselor, Heisla First Nation. We're talking about the attack just over a year ago now on the coastal gas link pipeline in northern British Columbia, $20 million in damage. Police say they're getting close to solving this case. Uh, they have people under surveillance, they told the CBC. Let's listen to let's listen to Marcus Peterson here on last week's show. Now, he is with a group that opposes the pipeline. He's with a group called Decolonial Solidarity. And he said he points out that some of the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs oppose the pipeline. And those are the indigenous voices we should listen to, the indigenous chiefs. Have a listen to what he says here, and then I'll get Ellis Ross's thoughts on it. This is Marcus Peterson on last week's show. With Tutin, okay. uh elected band councils, which are a colonial imposed system imposed by the Indian Act, they have given their approval. However, they only have jurisdiction over their reserve lands, and the pipeline actually doesn't pass through the reserve land. Ellis Ross, just got a couple minutes left here. What do you say to that argument? Because you hear that frequently that elected band councils have su- largely supported the project, but they don't have jurisdiction over the project outside reserves. Is that the way you look at it? No, that is such a crock. And I've tried to speak against this before. Uh, that, that, that's somebody misinterpreting some of the literature they might have read in isolation. In fact, the real question is who represents rights and title? And hereditary chiefs do not represent rights and title. Band councils do not represent rights and title unless it's actually endorsed by the community themselves. Because rights and title is a communal right. It's held on behalf of a community. So a community should be able to decide who represents them in that equation. And in most cases, it's band councils. Because representing rights and title is a multi-million dollar exercise. It, it shouldn't be taken lightly. And that's why these groups find it so easy to come in and take advantage of non-elected members because it's easy to disrupt the community. My band went through it. And the case, the court case that came out of it was is called Wilson versus Switlow. And it's a great example of how outsiders come in and manipulate First Nations for their own purposes. Okay, we just have 30 seconds left here. Ellis, would you therefore say that when elected band councils here support like these pipeline projects, that that should be, that should be enough for people who oppose it? This is the will of the indigenous people in this area to support this project. Oh, without a doubt. And definitely oh. for the right reasons as well to resolve poverty. And by the way, when they find out who these people are, regardless where they come from, international or not, the, the full penalty of the law should be thrown at them. I mean, if it's mm. jail time, then... You know, promote the jail time for these terrorist activities that promote violence against people, workers, RCMP, and our communities. Okay, we're following it closely. Thanks for coming on with your thoughts on it today. Thanks a lot, Mike. All right, let's talk about a tough economy out there right now for so many people. Brand new survey indicating a lot of Canadians having difficulty making ends meet. Some willing to dip into their savings in order to pay the bills. This is something, you know, you hear the finance experts like, never do this, never, never go into your RSP. You get whacked with taxes when you do that. But with so many people, if they're struggling, what else are they going to do? Many feel like they have no option 
A lot of people don't have any savings. But for those that do, some of them dipping into those savings, trying to break, break the piggy bank right now. Is that a smart thing to do? Got Rabina Ahmed Hawk standing by to discuss. Have a listen to Amy Libby here, Abbotsford renter on her struggles to pay the rent. Have a listen. We were lucky and found our home on a community page, um, but it was still $400 over what we were previously paying, even just from a year ago. We can make our rent payments, we can pay our bills, but that's it. Like, we don't go out to eat, our daughters aren't in any extra curricular activities. We don't really do anything. As sad as that sounds, we just can't afford to. Okay, let's discuss now with my guest, Rabina Ahmed Haq, personal finance expert. And I absolutely recommend Rabina's show for what it's worth on Chorus Radio all across Canada. You can hear it on Saturdays at 9 a.m., Sundays at 5 p.m. And I'm very pleased to welcome Rabina back to the show. Rabina, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. I appreciate it a lot. This is a, a story that really jumped out at me that when you have a difficult economy, so many people struggling right now, more people taking a look at their savings, dipping into those savings. So this was a, a survey by the Angus Reid Institute. Wow, this is a, a bleak picture here with more Canadians saying they're willing to dip into their savings here in order to pay the bills. Is this a smart thing to do or should you try to avoid that? Well, I think this is what savings are for is when, you know, when you need those extra funds, especially if you have savings and emergency fund, this is when you use them, when you can't pay all the bills, when your rent is due and you're worried about how you're going to make that, when your mortgage payments have gone up, using your savings to cover those bills makes sense. When it hurts you is when you start taking it out of your retirement savings. So your RRSP, like you alluded to there, it can have a huge impact on your uh, income tax. It, you can't put that money back. So once you use your contribution room in an RRSP, you can't put that money back. It's not like the TFSA where you can take money out and put that room back in. You create room to put money back in. So it really depends on what kind of savings you are tapping. But I would prefer that over going into deep credit card debt, for example, to make, right. it, make it happen. Okay, that's a really great point, I think, to, for people to remember the difference between RSP and a TFSA, right? So a registered savings account. So a TFSA, you can take money in and out of that without without losing your room. That's correct? right. So okay. RSP, most, most Canadians, you know, it's been around for a long time. We know that it's a way to save for our retirement. It's money we tap uh, when we leave work. And we also understand that we're getting that income tax break on the money that we put in. So, so if you put in $5,000, um, it's as if you get all the income tax that you paid on that money. Well, you do get all the income tax you paid on that money back. And if you pay your income tax bill at the end of the year, like I do as a freelancer, uh, I don't have to pay income tax on that money. But right. when, you bring, when you take the money out in retirement, you will have to pay income tax on that money. But you can manage your funds in a, in a way to make it efficient. With TFSA, every year, starting this year, $6,000 of room is created. And the beauty of the TFSA is that Say that 6000 grows to 8000 just as an example of this year, and then you take that 8000 out, you can put that 8000 back in in the next calendar year. So you never actually lose any contribution room if you use your TFSA as a way to take money out of your savings to pay your bills. Okay, that's a really, really great point to make. Now, let's talk a little bit about the RSPs. Now, for the rules on that, an RSP is basically a way to defer the taxes on that income, right? So 
if once you take the money out of the RRSP, hopefully when you're retired, then you have to pay the taxes on it. Correct. But by then, if you're not working, hopefully you're paying a lower tax rate. You're in a lower tax bracket. So that's the, that's why you don't want to take it out. You don't want to take that money out of the RSP now and get walloped. Like, why? How much would you have to pay on taxes there if you take the money out now? Well, it depends on what your income is that year. So if you made a hundred thousand dollars and you took out ten thousand dollars, you are going to be you're going to pay income tax on that hundred and ten thousand dollars. Right. The, the 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 one part that is really I think should be driven home is that there are penalties and fees if you do an early withdrawal. So yeah, money is going to cost you even more than the income tax that you are paying on it, and that contribution is lost forever. So you cannot put that money back in. And then the third thing is, is that you've lost time for that money to grow. So you put that money in maybe when you were 30 years old, you meant to use it when you're 65. Now, say you're in your 40s, you're thinking I should take it out. Uh, that, that money is going to cost you not just in that moment, but also down the road because it won't have time to grow. Yeah, boy. So you better think carefully here before you do something like that. And I know a lot of Canadians, it must cross their mind if they have those savings. Not everyone has an RRSP, but... For those who have put some money away, man, if they're having a tough time right now, it must be tempting. Well, take a look at that RSP. That money's sitting there. I could use that. But you better think carefully before you do that, right? Yeah, I mean, I think a better um, plan would be, like, say your only savings is your RSP, so you've been putting money in uh, in that for for how many years? The better plan would be to go to the bank and uh, see if you can get a line of credit if you do own your home. Or a, um, an unsecured line of credit would still be a lot cheaper than borrowing, say, for example, on your credit card. It would have a higher yeah. interest rate than a home equity line of credit. But say you need to borrow $5,000 just to make it happen you know, over the next couple of, say, next six months. So you borrow that money at, a low, at, at the lowest interest rate you possibly can find, and then you make a plan to pay it, pay it off as quickly as possible. That would probably be um, more, uh, from a personal finance point of view, uh, more of efficient and uh, save you more money than trying to take money out of the RSP and sort of jeopardizing your retirement savings. Right, for sure. Speaking to Rabina Ahmed Haq, personal finance expert for what it's worth is Rabina's show, which I recommend to you. So let's talk a little bit about contributing to your RRSP, especially in tough times. Now, this survey by the Angus Reid Institute also found not only are Canadians thinking of like dipping into their savings, but more Canadians have put off making a contribution to their RRSP or a TFSA account, because times are tough. They need the money, so they can't contribute to their savings account. I remember someone telling me, you should try to make an RSP contribution every single year, like even if you have to go to the bank to borrow the money to put into an RSP, that you should try to do that if you can. And I remember remember doing that a few times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think, like, what do you think about when you hear that people, wow, I don't have the money to contribute to my savings now, what can people do in a situation like that? So rather than completely not saving any money, just reduce the amount that you're putting in. So don't go from, you know, 100 to zero. Uh, maybe go from 100 to 20. <laughs> so if that, if, say you're putting in $250 every paycheck. Uh, don't say, okay, I'm not going to put that 250 in. Continue to do the savings, even if it's down to, say, 50 bucks. Um, because what that does is that it continues to flex that savings muscle. Because savings is a habit. And the problem is it's not really about how much money you're putting in. It's about making it into a habit. Every time I get paid, I've got to put something to the side. 
And if that, if times are, if financial times are tough and you've got to pay bills and those are coming due. And if you don't, they're going to have penalties and interest and everything else is going to cost you a lot more down the road. It does make sense to pare back on some savings so you can make those bills happen. But I wouldn't completely take it off the table because then it's going to be hard to get back into it. If you compare it to the gym, for example, if you don't have time to go to the gym, at least, at least get there once. So you yeah. keep your body in motion, right? So that when you have time, you can go back, you know, three, four times a week. But try to make try to make that contribution still happen, even if it's a much lower amount than what you've been doing before. Oh, I, I love that comparator for sure. Yeah, because I know a lot of times someone someone once told me, speaking about trying to get to the gym, at least try to go through the motions. Like even if, okay, let's say you don't want to go out for like a, a 5K long jog. Well... You know, try to put go through the motions, put your running shoes on, go outside and at least walk around the block, like do something, move a little bit, right? That's better than doing nothing. So that was the same thing, right? But save a little bit, even if it's only a little bit. Yeah, I mean, anything in life, we, we, we underestimate how uh, powerful habits are. And if we stop doing them, how, it's, how difficult it is to get back into it. So someone may think logically, you know, I'm putting $1,000 into my RSP and I'm struggling to pay my bills. Let me take that $1,000 and make my, you know, make other things happen with it. So what happens is maybe six, seven months down the road when you're starting to feel a little bit more financially comfortable, it's hard to find that $1,000 to put back in and call the bank up and say, okay, start taking that money out again. But if you're putting a small amount in, it's, you're, still, you're still contributing something, so that's positive. And then it's easy to up that limit Rather, up that amount rather than start all over again, which is what it would feel like if you just took it right off the table. So I, I, that's the most important thing is to understand that, you know, once you've gotten into the habit, don't drop that habit because that's yeah. harder to do than anything else. What would you say about the, the, the situation that we face here right now? I mean, this is such a bleak picture for so many people. And this poll that was done by Angus Reid, Man, this is some depressing reading here. Like it says like a third of Canadians say their personal finances, they would describe them as either bad or terrible. There's a lot of people who are really feeling down about their personal finances. I mean, you must be seeing that out there in your job. Yeah, I mean, I cover I've been covering personal finance for 15 plus years. And this is by far one of the most uh, financially tricky times for Canadians. Uh, 2008-2009 was a different uh, situation. It was more people losing their investments, uh, really uh, feeling as if, you know, all of a sudden this money that I put into the market is not worth as much as it was six months ago. But there wasn't this day-to-day personal finance struggle. Like, I, it wasn't as if grocery store prices like they are now were going up 10% year over year and the cost of living was still remaining high and interest rates were climbing higher. Now we're in a situation where all of that is happening. Markets are, markets are not, um, they're, they're volatile right now. So we're seeing our investments fluctuate, which doesn't make us feel good. Uh, our everyday costs, like grocery prices, gasoline, even though it's come down, is still pretty expensive to drive a car right now. They're all remaining high. And on top of that, even though salaries have perked up a little bit, they are not at the rate of inflation. And the big salary increases are coming in the higher end jobs. So those who already were making high six figure salaries are just making better salaries. It's not necessarily being shared amongst people who are in low income situations. Okay. The government, the federal government saying they 
they feel your pain. They they know people are struggling right now to pay the bills for even basics like groceries and getting up family shopping. So the government bringing in a grocery rebate here right now. So this is available to Canadians and this is a means tested program. So this is for low uh low income Canadians to get up to four hundred and seventy four dollars for a family yeah. a couple with a couple with two kids let's listen I mean, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on this rubina let's listen to the federal minister responsible here on this this is karina gould the federal minister of families children and social development let's listen things are really expensive um i mean i talk to families all the time about these challenges um and i have to say that you know it's it's hard like i i can say that when i go to the grocery store i mean i see the impact of it um and you know it's you know if you're if you're making 35 or 40,000 dollars a year it's pretty tough right now okay so she says even she is seeing it when she goes grocery shopping and as a federal cabinet minister she makes $274,500 a year, and even she's feeling it. So I'm, I'm not sure how much she's feeling it when she goes yeah. to the grocery store. But anyway, your thoughts? I think, she, I think she's trying to sound relatable, uh, yeah. you know, which is, is fine. Um, she's obviously not feeling it as someone who's making the average Canadian salary of about $50,000 a year. Um, so this is a, the GST rebate. They've doubled it, the federal government, and it goes to uh, low-income Canadians. So if you make, as a household, more than $60,000, you're not going to qualify for this rebate. And they're saying that low-income Canadians, like you said, a family of four, will get a doubling of that GST, which will equal 476 bucks back in uh, their pocket. Now, you can use that money for whatever you want. They're calling it a grocery rebate, which I find really funny, because they should have just said, we're doubling the GST you can GST rebate. You can do whatever you want with it, including buy groceries if you want to. But really, there's no one coming there and saying you have to buy oranges with this money. You can <laughs> buy whatever you want with it, right? Uh, right. So I thought that, that from a, if I was consulting with the federal government, which I do not, I would have said that that was a brand loss because you don't need to rebrand the GST rebate. You could just say we're doubling it because we understand that low-income Canadians are struggling and maybe this money will help you out in some way. You can use it on whatever it is. You can pay down debt. You can buy household items. You can buy groceries. You can fix your car. You can do whatever it is that you need to do. So I thought that that was a bit of a miss for them, that they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have tried to brand it as a grocery rebate because people are confused as to why that money is coming to them. Yeah. Uh, but I do think $476 you know, that will equate to a couple of weeks of groceries. So that is going to help people who are getting that money if they use it wisely and, um, you know, go to the shop, the sales and do mindful shopping. Don't bring stuff home and waste it, but it's not going to solve all the problems. It's just going to be okay. a little bit of a bonus in their pocket. All right, here we go now with the science behind earworms. Now, what is an earworm? Well, it's a song that gets stuck in your head all day after you hear it. Scientists have been studying this phenomenon, and they say that this is some brain science that's going on here. Involuntary musical imagery how certain songs can wriggle their way into your brain and you can hear that repeating in your head sometimes days later. I got Paul Magistry standing by from Brain Tap to discuss. Now have a listen to this here now. 
I'm going to give you a, an, ear, an earworm right now. Researchers at the University of St. Andrews compiled the list. The worst earworm songs of all time. Maybe you could say they're the best earworm songs. This was number one. Have a listen. There you go. That is the song I'm Gonna Be, better known as 500 Miles, by the Scottish group The Proclaimers. That was determined to be the number one earworm song of all time. And now, courtesy of us, that's stuck in your head, right? Let's check in with Paul Magistry now. Paul is the co-president of BrainTap. It's a tech company that develops brain-based wellness products. Hey, Paul. Hey, thank you, Mike, for having me on the show. Yeah, you bet. Thanks a lot for coming on. I'm sorry I gave you an earworm there now. Are you going to be hearing that in your head the rest of the day? Oh, I tell you what, as, as a company dedicated to promoting brain health and wellness, BrainTap recognizes the power of music, just like you just played, to influence our mental state and well-being. As uh, a matter of fact, the study on earthworms that you mentioned reinforces that the idea that music can have a profound impact on our brain and behavior and that repetition and familiarity are keys to creating those changes. So, yeah, that, that'll be in my head today. That'll be in your head. Okay. What creates this phenomenon here? Like, as a brain expert, how, what, how would you describe that in layman's terms? Like, how does this earworm burrow into your brain like that and you, and you hear, continue to hear it? Well, you know, at BrainCap, we use music uh, uh, just like that. We use music and sound therapy to promote relaxation, focus, and uh, uh, overcome overwhelm, uh, uh, being overwhelmed and increased well-being. Our technology uses, utilizes binary beats and guided imagery and other techniques to help users uh, obtain that more relaxed and focused state of mind by providing a consistent and immersed, you know, uh, existence within audio experience like BrainTap helps users create that positive reinforcement and change in their life. And and when you hear those sounds, it's it's like what your grandmother told you, right? You know what what you think, what you, what goes in your ear, you know, can often come out of your mouth and vice versa. You know, yeah. there, there's a there, you know, grandma used to always say, "Listen to opera, not you know, punk music." Well, the the, the, the theory there is is that one has a relaxation benefit to it, the other has a stimulation benefit, and the study on, on earworms also highlights the importance of being in a low attentional state for earworms to really occur. This is yeah. similar to the relaxed state that we talked about. Right, yeah, so I've heard that, that often if you're in a relaxed mood and you're listening, this is how the earworm will burrow into your brain in the first place. So let's listen to another one here, Paul, that is on the list. So this is the song. It was identified by researchers, University of St. Andrews. You heard number one there, 500 miles by the proclaimers. This is number two. This is the number two earworm song. Have a listen. Okay, yeah, We Are the Champions by Queen. Yeah, great song. I remember reading that 
the band they wanted like an an audience participation song when they wrote that song so you can imagine a whole stadium of people kind of singing along to we are the champions great song but again it's an earworm right that gets into your head and you you continue to hear that is, does well, it require you to be in that relaxed state though when you hear it is that what creates the earworm if the the mood that no, you're in remember there can be positive and negative right so to get a positive you want to be in that relaxed state there's certain frequencies uh that that are promoted through certain music that can promote you know a stimulated uh, state or a relaxed state and in, in, in really helping different brain waves like Alpha, delta, theta, gamma, and beta. To give you a good example, Michael, quick is is all brain taps done is and, and what we're talking about right now is not new. You're talking about ancient, um, you know, ancient uh, therapies. So to give you an example, uh, we're, we're energy beings, and so that music has a very each music has a very specific, um, you know, uh, 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 t- uh, tone and beat to it that that resonates a very s- specific. Um, uh, range of frequency, and ba- depending on that frequency, it's going to promote uh, a brainwave: alpha, delta, theta, gamma, beta. For example, alpha, I mean, uh, excuse me, delta, deep delta sleep. Uh, we want to be relaxed so we can go into deep delta sleep. We don't want that during the day when we're trying to focus. And a lot of people walk around in that state. And so, in, in conclusion of that study uh, uh, on earworms. Uh, undercovering and underscoring that power of music to influence the mental state and well-being that you want is key. Okay, okay. Well, that's very interesting. Speaking to Paul Magistry from Brain Tap, and we're talking about earworms. These are songs that get stuck in your head. All right, Paul, let's listen to another one here. So this is, we're giving the, the listeners a lot of earworms today for sure. This is number three on the list out of this study from the University of St. Andrews, the best, or I guess you could say the worst or the best, I guess, depending on your point of view, earworms of all time. Now you heard number two by Queen, We Are the Champions. Number three, oh, check this out, also by Queen. Have a listen. Okay. Yeah, there you are. That's number three on the list. The worst earworms of all time. Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. That was an unexpected big hit for Queen. They knew it would be big, but it's a long song, not typical of radio airplay. But boy, that's a great song, too. Uh, why is that one on the list, would you say? Like, what is it about that song that gets into your head? What would you say, Paul? Well, I, I mean, from from a, just a listener's perspective, right? Um, it, it has a specific, you know, meaning to it. It has uh, a specific energy to it, and our brain connects with what we're go- what's going on. The greatest pharmacy we'll ever have uh, is is between our two ears, and so we're able to uh, get uh, what we need. So if we're you know depressed and we hear an exciting uh, piece of music, it can help us get in a brainwave to make us happier. Uh, it can help us focus and give us energy. So uh, depending on what's going on in your day, the frequency that that music may uh, promote uh, will be in direct correlation for how your brainwave responds. Paul, thanks for coming on to talk about it today. I appreciate it a lot. Uh, my honor to be on the, 
uh, on the radio with you, and you have a fantastic day. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.